There's something very important about the written form of, of therapy. It's people feel less inhibited, perhaps. Um, I think people are a little bit more reflective when they write, including the clinicians. Um, they've got a little bit of time to think about what it is that they're saying. And it's certainly um, measured objectively as delivering um, at least equivalent or better outcomes than conventional care. And I, I think the big opportunity is to really learn and study what's working in the data that are being produced during those uh, clinical sessions. Today we're talking to Andy from AISO and we're talking all about mental health at the end of this Mental Health Awareness Week. Specifically, we're looking at how text can deliver better outcomes and how the data supports that when trying to treat common mental health issues. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast powered by the Harvey Nash Group and presented by myself, David Savage, where we interview leaders from across the industry and bring you a little bit of tech news. Joining me today, we've got Hayley, who I can see is in the office. Still, still a novelty when you see someone in the office. Yep, I'm back in the London town. Yeah, and how <laughs> is that for you? It was lovely. I got a little bit of a spring in my step today, but you do just like went out today, bought lunch, coffees. It's definitely cheaper working from home, but still equally is what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've got to... Um, it's funny, this... this episode is at the end of mental health awareness week it is all about protecting your mental health and the the interview obviously is about that too and there's an element of going into the office and seeing people you say there's a spring in your step yeah there is there is about this right there is a loneliness epidemic the stats are that um the number of people that you can on average turn to at time of a crisis has gone from three to zero yeah, I believe that. I do. Uh, it's definitely a lonely time. I'm, I'm someone who's personally never really suffered with their mental health. And even in lockdown, there was times where I thought, oh, gosh, I think I'm suffering with a bit, with like, a bit anxious and, and, and things like that. So it's definitely taken its toll. Let's dive into the interview. Let's uh, introduce our guest, Andy. We'll be back with some commentary afterwards. So this morning, I'm joined by Andy Blackwell, Chief Science Officer at AISO Digital Health. Uh, Andy, this week, uh, this is going out at the back end of Mental Health Awareness Week, but given what AISO do, uh, entirely appropriate. Do you want to just explain a little bit about what your role is and what the organisation or company rather do? Oh, well, it's 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 great to meet you, uh, Dave. Thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Uh, AISO Digital Health is the largest provider of online uh, treatment for common mental health conditions such as depression and anxiety disorders. So. Um, conditions like generalized anxiety disorder, but also things that um, such as post-traumatic stress. And so people can access treatment whenever they choose, wherever they are over the internet, and um, and they typically will uh, do that uh, do that from from home. One of the things that we uh, specialize in is uh, using uh, technology and and uh, computational methods to really understand what works and what doesn't in treatment to continuously drive improvements in the care people are receiving. So, so how are patients referred to you? I assume, I mean, I, I was sent some information before the, before the interview where it said that you work closely with the NHS. Is it a case that people will come into the NHS, something will be identified, and then they are referred on to the service as something they can access? Well, there are lots of different ways, actually, that um, you can access the service. So we're available to about 20 million people in in the UK uh, just now. 
typically somebody will uh, ask their GP for some help and they'll be referred by their GP directly uh, to us. But in many areas, uh, you can actually just sign up for the service directly. You just put in uh, your name and your uh, GP's address, and then and then we we will sort everything out and get people into treatment. And often on the same day that they seek help, so, so people don't need to wait for a very long uh, time. Uh, when often they've been waiting for a very long time before they actually um, uh, uh, reach out for, for for some help. Now, I imagine people are familiar, maybe not with the stats, but certainly with the narrative that over the course of the last year, a lot of people have been suffering loneliness, especially a lot of young people who felt very isolated. Uh, and mental health is something that's been spoken about uh, far more widely than, than just in Mental Health Awareness Week. What, what have you seen as an organization, you know, in, in terms of the, the 20 million people that could access the service? What What's happened over the last few months? Well, it's been... Um... I think in, in many ways, a very important year in mental health care. And um, so we started last year um, with around 7% of people who were accessing mental health uh, doing so online over the internet. And by August, 94% of people receiving uh, talking therapy-based um, uh, treatments such as uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, were doing that online. So was, there was this almost complete virtualization of the way people were accessing care, which is a, a, a radical shift. Um, we also saw that people, um, uh, there was a huge surge in in and demand for help just around the first lockdown. And then that kind of stabilized a little bit and then came back up. Uh, in in the in the in the latter part of the year, and is and now people uh, seem to be um, are feeling that they that now is the time to 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 reach out and get some some help. So it's been a very um, uh, sort of tumultuous year, year I think. And uh, but the great news is that people I think have realised that you don't have to drive across town and sit in a porter cabin in a hospital car park to get access to the help that you need, which is sort of sort of the old uh, model. Uh, and people are very actively reaching out and, and seeking help. And, and some communities of people that were quite reluctant to uh, access services, we, we're seeing more uh, of, of those people, men in particular, actually, um, who are often very reluctant to, uh, to reach out for help uh, and to engage in treatment. We've seen, uh, we've seen, um, that, that suddenly it seems more accessible to, to people. Is it is it not that even that it's just accessible? I mean, it might be worth kind of just finding out a little bit about exactly how it works, but is this available through a, through a smartphone? You say about it being online. I mean, I, I suppose there's there's a discretion there that because you don't have to go across town because you can just pick up your phone and to a certain degree it's private and no one knows that you're asking for help, which could actually be a, a, a real positive that people can begin to engage and 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 reach out yeah that's absolutely right um so most of our treatment uh, actually for for historical reasons has been in text so people have uh, what we call synchronous uh, which is a bit like um a kind of whatsapp interaction uh, with a with a with a therapist with a with a qualified clinician uh, for typically an hour and um and, and or they 
uh, and or they have asynchronous interaction. So they're exchanging short messages between those sessions with um, a clinician, both of which uh, we think are really important. But it's historically it's all been written down um, because actually this began at a time when video conferencing and um, Teams and Zoom, uh, that era had not not begun. And it was the way of reaching people where there were, you know, issues with bandwidth or so on and people are accessing it on a mostly on a smartphone but but uh, the system is is sort of platform and technology agnostic so as long as you have a connected device you can access the service and and in this last year actually we have offered uh video but a lot of people are still choosing to uh have the treatment uh in writing uh, and um uh, and i think that's because you know um, like you and I probably just now, uh, I'm at home, and if I'm having problems that relate to family, for example, which often they do for people, um, having this conversation out loud is is, is difficult, isn't it? Um, so it's not just about people knowing that you're having therapy, but you know, if you can sit in a quiet room and um, and 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 have the help that you need dis- fully discreetly that that again is is just a big barrier um moved away from people from from people seeking help um, the other thing that we've we've also come to learn about that is there is um a, a phenomenon that it, it, people feel a little bit more disinhibited when they're writing in a chat room and and sometimes i think on the internet that probably has bad consequences um, but in therapy, it's a really powerful tool. It's um, uh, it enables people to disclose um, more readily than they otherwise might. It's interesting, isn't it? Because because there is that flip side. You know, people often often think of the the, the uninhabited net and, uh, consequences of the internet and talk about trolls and so on. But you're entirely right. There there is. You know, tech technology is entirely agnostic and used in this forum. It's it's a wonderful positive. Um, out of interest, those those text-based solutions then, and 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 what you're providing, how how successful are they? I mean, is it is it? I suppose when you when you see someone in person, if someone is you know that very stereotyped image of someone coming in and seeing someone and, and being on a couch, and there's that interaction where maybe it's easier to get a sense of if someone is making a breakthrough or improving. I, I don't know whether that's as easy to do on text. So that was the first question I asked when I'm a recovering academic and um, I first became involved in, in, in with the company by studying the data that was uh, being produced. So we learned early on that delivering treatment in this way was at least substantially equivalent or the, the same as uh, delivering uh, treatment face-to-face. And that was somewhat surprising to me. It was against uh, in, in odds with what I'd been trained in originally. And um, and what we, so we measure clinical outcome in the service every day. So in, in a sense, uh, the whole service is a bit like a clinical trial and we're, um, we're measuring the effect of each treatment that we deliver for everybody and, and reporting that that openly. And what we found when I first was involved in, in, in about 2015, we had recovery rates that were the same as the national average for uh, treatment. There were about 40% of people would fully recover uh, during their treatment episode. Um, and uh, now those recovery rates are around 70%. 
So it's actually substantially superior to the standard of care. And, and that's all of those data are from uh, remote care delivery and, and text-based delivery. So there is something, uh, I, I think we used to think a lot about the, um, the sort of face-to-face, -face, the subtle interpersonal signals, maybe reading your mood in, in, in the way that you, your facial expressions. Um, but what I think we've come to learn is more important than that is that there are active ingredients in the treatment and that they need to happen. And that is more important than the modality through which the, the care is being delivered. So I think, I think we've sort of come to learn there's something very important about the written form of, of therapy. It's people feel less inhibited, perhaps. Um, I think people are a little bit more reflective when they write, including the clinicians. Um, they've got a little bit of time to think about what it is that they're saying. And it's certainly um, measured objectively as delivering um, at least equivalent or better outcomes than conventional care. And I, I think the big opportunity is to really learn and study what's working in the data that are being produced during those uh, clinical sessions and sort of bottle that up and make it accessible to a, a much larger uh, community of people in need. You mentioned data a few times. Um, I've read kind of articles about how natural language processing applied to things like students' essays can better understand what kind of state of mind someone is in and, and possibly intervene and help someone. How is technology impacting the work? Because, you know, you've got 650 trained therapists, I think. Uh, uh, a few more than that now, yeah. But yes, that's right. Several right. hundred, yeah. I, and I suppose there is a limit to how much... Um, those therapists are available to people because there's only physically so many hours in a day that the therapist can 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 give um and there might be something that data and 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 machine learning at a, at a very kind of you know let's not get carried away with things like ai and stuff that that phrase can get thrown away but but a better understanding of uh, of the state of someone because of what they say can can really help the outcome right uh, it, it it absolutely can and i think we've just really begun to understand the power in that type of method. So one of the early uh, things that we came to learn was that there are patterns in language, both in the clinician and in the person receiving care, that are um, indicative, they're signs of uh, what they're experiencing. So for example, um, uh, we, we learned early on that use of um, a negation. So if you hear, I can't, I won't, I will not, that's not going to work. Well, that often proceeds, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, drop out from treatment and poorer outcomes. So when uh, we can alert people to, uh, to, to, to those, uh, those linguistic um, signatures of, of mood and anxiety and, and the likelihood that people will be able to engage in treatment, also, things like use of the first person singular pronoun, so uh, I, me, my, again, that seems to be strongly associated with uh, de some uh, depressive uh, symptoms. But I think the real opportunity is in understanding that those characteristics in an individual's language, effectively, like um, we use uh, a blood pressure monitor for cardiovascular illness, or we can use those same uh, sort of linguistic um, biomarkers to um, detect early, maybe help people seek help 
before things are severe and chronic and and harder to treat and and so i think there's a there's a great opportunity as we sort of understand the language of 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 mental health to use that to help people get treatment sooner get more precise and better targeted treatment um, and ultimately perhaps to emulate some of the things that that good clinicians do in um to to extend their reach as you say there are yeah. There are sort of fixed small number of clinicians and a much larger population of people in need. And somehow we have to find ways to superpower the clinicians and and extend extend their um, uh, their reach, probably by arming them with tools that enable them to um, to 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 sort of extend their practice without, you know, full one to one time. So as, as, a, as a last question, this probably leads quite neatly into just thinking about where, you know, the, the kind of work that you might be looking at doing over the next six months or so. Um, you, you talk there, there's a lot of people out there who, who may need help. The World Health Organization have talked about the impact of, of COVID-19 being a, a parallel pa- pandemic. Uh, and we, we mentioned at the top of the interview that, that disproportionately a lot of young people have been affected. So what, what are the plans in the short term and, and, and where do we go from here? Well, I think our immediate priority is to ensure that we are available in a very timely way to as many people as possible. So we're already seeing, a, you know, a very large numbers of people uh, coming into treatment, and um, and and the the other, uh, you know, major initiatives are to ensure that we embed some of these new computational methods and, and technologies into the system so that it can help uh, clinicians. Uh, deliver the best possible care for very large numbers of people. So those, um, you know, we we um, uh, where we find ourselves is that about twenty percent of people currently living with these conditions are able to access care, and of those that do, fifty percent of those people will respond during their treatment. So the the priorities are give as many people as possible access in a timely way to the care that they need, and then use the technology to ensure they get the right treatment from the right clinician at the right dose. And that's where the, there's such a such potential for artificial intelligence and uh, treatment recommender systems and, and uh, quality control metrics that use that natural language processing to say, you know, are we, are we delivering the active ingredients in in each treatment that we know are vital uh, to to giving people the most expedient path to recovery um, so that they can live their life unhindered by these uh, conditions that affect every family on earth. I mean, this is the the thing I think people haven't really realized because it's all been stigmatized, but there isn't a family in some way or another that goes unaffected by depression or anxiety. And I think this is the this is where technology can play an absolutely pivotal role. Um, and I think maybe one positive side effect of COVID is that suddenly the world has realized that it is possible to get access to treatment discreetly and in a timely way and to help them get their life back on track. And 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 actually, do you know, one of the things I will say to perhaps your, your, your listeners is that um, I think we think of therapy as often something that goes on for years and years and years, and it's very intensive. Uh, most people in our service have five to six hours of engagement with a clinician, and they move from a state where they're they're struggling to work and struggling to look after their family and 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 so on, and they leave 
in a state where those things are no longer a problem. They're able to fully enjoy their everyday life and and have a full and flourishing uh, time. And 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 it, it's it, it is a brave step to seek help. Yeah. But once you have, there is a clear path to um, getting to a much better place, and it 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 doesn't take that long. And so, I what I would say a positive message, perhaps for mental health awareness week, is. Don't wait. Seek help, and um, and once you've you know the hardest thing to 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 do is to ask for help. After that, um, things can uh, people have a remarkable experience and 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 their lives are transformed. So it's 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 the great news is some of these treatments really do work, and um, uh, and and there are new ways of of accessing those. And I think IESO is, is playing playing its part there. That's that's important. Um, Absolutely. So, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today, uh, especially obviously relevant given the week that we're in. Um, so I hope you have a, or have had by the time this goes out, a good mental health week and fingers crossed the work continues to, to make an improvement. Thank you. Great. Well, great to meet you, Dave. Thank you for your time. So I, I think for me, the, the, the stuff around this that really stands out is that, first of all, it is still difficult for people, especially men, it would seem, to go and seek help. So if there is a way that you can pick up your phone and disappear to the quiet corner of your house uh, and discreetly reach out and get the help that you need, that is a massive, um, I wouldn't say step forward because it's not like these services weren't there, but it's certainly far more accessible and it makes it far easier for people to reach out and get help when they need it. Yeah, definitely. Especially like you mentioned men as well, because I think a lot of men are reluctant to ask for help and they, they find it hard like to express their feelings and emotions. Unlike women can sometimes find that a little bit easier um, naturally, I think. Um, so this, like you say, it, it's, an, it's a you, you message someone, no one else really needs to know. It's, and writing down your feelings sometimes can do you a world of good just getting things out there but things that you would just bottle up naturally um and just actually physically putting it out into the universe and just saying it to someone whether it be by text or just even speaking to someone um helps massively so the fact that they don't actually have to speak to anyone and they could just text someone is brilliant i think would you be surprised to find out that any of your friends in particular i suppose male friends were were, were seeking help at the moment. Like, you know, if, I don't know. I don't know of any of my friends who are actively seeking counselling right now, but every now and then I then find out that people who I know have had counselling. Yeah, I think I would believe that. And I think I would believe that because I've never really suffered with anything like that before. And I feel like I felt in a bit of a, dodgy place within lockdown so I feel like actually now more than ever I would believe that um, I have spoken to some people and they were like oh gosh I've been a bit worried like just worried about work more than I would if I was in the office and, and things like that so and they're saying like it's keeping them up at night so I 100% believe that there would be there'll be even if it, it could be something really small it could be something really big but I believe that everyone has got like an element of that it's funny isn't it like I, I do find now that people there does seem to be more openness to say if you've sought help. I still don't feel that someone doesn't, you know, we don't walk around going, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go see a therapist. Like we say, I'm going to go no. see a doctor. 
there is still that you're you're quite secret and i can understand because it's so personal right a broken a broken leg is not personal in the same Mm -hmm. way that how you feel is but maybe maybe it should be i don't know Maybe, maybe that's maybe it never will be maybe that's asking too much but you know we we talk about mental health in terms of you know it's no different from a broken bone you just can't see the injury type thing yeah agreed and but i do think that there are many things that social media is bad for and it can be terrible for your mental health but it also can Mm. be very good for awareness and unfortunately there has been people um who potentially who've had severe mental health issues and 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 have it's been put on social media for awareness and it has encouraged people to talk about it you know there's be like there'll be hashtags about about it I don't know exactly what they are but I'm just saying this I've been thinking about it just things like oh make sure you speak to someone or or, you know and it's it is it is a bit of a boom where and I see people if they I've seen more people open up this week on social media saying like I've suffered with it it's people in the public eye as well so I think it's good to see that and I think that will encourage more people and and I think that there is a movement on it but yeah, yeah. it's still a vast amount of people who aren't like that like people some people are more introverted and who don't literally don't want to speak about it at all and that's why something like this is so good yeah yeah it's a tricky one isn't it I, I do find you know you make the point there that that sometimes social media can be good and bad the technology itself is neither good nor bad and there's the point made during the interview that you know this is one this is one of those perfect examples where sometimes people use the internet and texting to troll people here mm. they're using it to get help and it's being yeah. wonderfully um, wonderfully effective it's amazing to hear those stats that you know traditional therapies there's success 40 percent of the time through text-based it's 70 percent of the time and of course what we can also do is apply natural language processing to all of this crunching the data and get a better understanding of why certain techniques work why certain forms of treatment help people yeah no definitely I completely agree at the end of the day we are humans and we are not made to stay indoors like that is just not why we was created so I'm not I'm generally not surprised that we are going into the people are going into a little bit of a downward spiral it only takes you to kind of have a bit of time off work, be outdoors, be doing things to just feel instantly better. Like I feel like obviously it's not the answer to everything, but mm. I'm I'm genuinely not surprised that this is that like the stats are bad in terms of mental Loneliness health. And people. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm not surprised. Yeah, and I don't think it's gonna be as easy as just things are open, now everyone's gonna be all right. No, yeah, damage is done to an extent yeah it's, it's been a year and also in a year like people's habits naturally change don't they so I feel like it's been a year of people doing pretty much the same thing and to get out of this now is going to be the same it probably will take again that amount of time to kind of get back to normal or find a new normal at least yeah yeah absolutely look I think we'll we'll, we'll wrap it up there it's uh it's the weekend it's an incredibly important conversation hopefully if you're listening to this and you have struggled um, at some point over the last year. It, there's nothing to be ashamed in that and, and absolutely asking for help. Perhaps ESO might be the way of, of finding that help. Um, but there is no shame in asking for help. And absolutely, you should do that. But uh, Hayley, I hope you continue to have the spring in your step. <laughs> Hashtag ask for help. That was probably one of them.
won't give you the satisfaction. 